Good morning again. So we've been talking about prayer. And in this whole prayer series, we said, you know, last week we said, when we pray, we have to start from a place of not just going straight into like, oh, God, I want this. You know, I think you should do this. I think I need to change. We don't start there. We start by what we like to say, practicing his presence. And the way that we got there is through this verse. And this verse we're going to look at is from Matthew chapter 6. And in kind of setting up the scene, Jesus is walking around with his disciples, you know, his 12 people, the people he's pouring into. Okay, and at one, at one point in that walk, his disciples turn to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? We've been watching you pray and... You know, yeah, I've been praying since I was a kid, but something different about your prayer, I don't know what it is, can you teach us how to pray? And maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, I've been going to church for like, I don't know how many years, and everybody seems to pray better than me, I, can you teach me how to pray? Or you're being new here, and you're like, yeah, this whole prayer thing is new to me, can you teach me how to pray? So our goal this, this series is to take baby steps so that we don't lose anybody along the way. So Matthew chapter 6, his disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? This is his answer. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, he doesn't go on and say, now, by the way, if you know chapter 6 of Matthew, right after this is the Lord's Prayer. You know, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've probably heard of that before. He doesn't jump right into saying, you want to know how to pray? Boom, here it is. Here's the model for you to follow. He doesn't do that. He starts off by giving us like a little prologue. He's like, before you pray the actual prayer, there's something you need to know. It's like, before you know what to say, there's a state that you have to be in so that you know how to pray when the, the content comes. So he's like, there's something that precedes the content part of the prayer. And so he talks about here how he says that, you know, like, so when you pray, it's more about listening because if you try to talk like, God, can you hear me? Then you're not really talking to our God because our God is not, he's not the kind of God that's like, I can't hear you, can you speak a little louder? Uh, your prayer is too short, can you make it longer? Your words are too simple, can you make sure that you use bigger words, like SAT words, because I deserve those, you know. He's like, if that's how you pray, then you're missing the point because our God is not like that. Our God just wants to be with you. And so last week we talked about how when we start praying, we don't start from a place of just babbling things off to him. We start from a place of just recognizing that he is here with us. So, Today, we're going to be talking about the next part of that. And the whole overview of this sermon could be summed up in this phrase now. But before I show you the phrase, I want to let you know, I had a really hard time coming up with a phrase because I don't know how to put it into words. So if you look at this and you're like, I have no idea what that means, the whole sermon is about me trying to unpack what this one phrase means, okay? Is that this. Prayer is not an isolated moment. It's not, it's time to pray? All right, let's pray. God, give me a car. Amen. That's a moment. That's like an isolated moment. It's not connected to anything else. That's an isolated moment, okay? Or it's not, God, I need to change. Will you change my heart? Amen. That's an isolated moment. Rather, prayer is actually, it's a process. And you're like, I still don't understand what you're talking about. It's like, well, that's what I'm going to explain to you today, okay? So, so when we think about prayer, when we think about how do we pray, we think about the Lord's Prayer. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer and if you break it into sections, what you're going to discover is that there's four categories of things that happen in Jesus' prayer. And here are the four, and maybe when you pray, you talk about one of these four things, or maybe a combo of these four things, right? Like when you're praying, you're like, God, you are so good. That's praising God, right? It's like, oh, you know, God, I, 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 you know, I want a million dollars. That's a request, right? Oh, God. Something amazing happened today. Thank you so much. That's Thanksgiving. 
or you're, you say, you know, God, I had, a, had a really, you know, I did something really bad, and I feel I had this, this, this guilt inside of me, and I just want to relieve it. I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? That's confession. So I would, I would say all your prayers either tackles one or multiple of these, right? And Jesus, even when he prays, you'll see him tackle one of these four or all four or maybe two of the four or whatever combination you could think of. But what Jesus said, because there was that prologue before he gave us that model of how to pray, what he's saying is beneath it all is a foundation right there. He's like, before you get to these four things, there's something you have to accomplish first. And last week we talked about how one of those things is presence. We have to start from a place of saying, God, I don't feel you, but I need to be reminded that you are here. God, I don't see evidence of you, but I need to remind myself that according to your word and according to my past experiences, I know that you are here with me. Even though I don't see you, I know you are here. And I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to listen to you. Today, we're going to be talking about the second part of that foundation. And after we finish these two things, then we could go on to the four things on top of it. The second thing is this, intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy is a very important thing. And, and you're like, intimacy? Really? Like, do you, do you really mean, like, intimacy? Like, intimacy in the sense that you want to get to know, God wants to get to know you in the depths of who you really are. Not who you pretend to be on the outside, but who you really are on the inside. And, but you're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know, Kotz. Uh, when you say I need to have this, understand God's presence and his intimacy, maybe this is what you're thinking right now, is this. I don't see the evidence of God invo- God's involvement in my life. Like, I don't see, like, the other day, Kotz, I was praying. Nothing happened. As a matter of fact, a few days ago, I had a really tough day. I didn't see him working in my life. What do you mean intimacy? Because I don't really even, th- I'm barely at that, that line right there where I'm like, I'm not even sure if God is real. Like, I, one bad moment and I'm going to be an atheist. One good moment and I'm like, yeah, sure, maybe God exists, right? Like, I'm at that line right now and let me tell you right now, it doesn't look really good for me. Like, I, I, I don't see any evidence of it. Like today, I woke up, I came to church, I sang a few songs, and I really don't see God in my surroundings. I, you know, there's pain in my life, and if God was real, he would have gotten rid of it. Like, I don't see him working in my life. What do you mean, intimacy? Well, for that, you see, it's a really interesting thing because a lot of times, and if you talk to the people around you who do say that I have experienced God's involvement in my life, they will tell you something like this. At the moment of your life that you're, that you're going through, you may not see God working at that moment, but in hindsight, you do see him working. There's a guy named uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He's like a theologian, poet, author. He does everything, right? Long time ago. This is what he said. He said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Isn't that true? In hindsight, you, you live your life and you don't really see any significance in what you're going through right now, but you look back and say, oh man, those were the days. Like you don't really appreciate it until it passed. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Imagine if you could actually appreciate it when we're actually going through it, but that's not how life works. You know, like... You know, right now I have kids and they keep me up late at night because they keep waking up and, you know, and I tell you these stories and for those of you who have teenagers, they're like, oh no, Kotz, you better enjoy it now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to enjoy it now, but you mean it's going to get worse? You're like, yeah. <laughs> right? But that's the thing, right? Does it get worse? Yeah. Everyone's laughing, so that means yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to enjoy it now, but the thing is, we only live our lives forward but we can only recognize and analyze and dissect it and understand the purpose of those moments in our lives backwards. In the same way, it's hard for us to understand God's involvement in our lives while we're living through our lives. But when we stop and look back, we say, oh, 
God was part of that, God was part of that, and God was part of that. And the reason why we say I don't see evidence of God's involvement in my life today is because we haven't really stopped to look back to see how God has worked through our past. So, how do we do that? How do we look back and recognize where God has been working? Now, this question is not a new question. This is a question that's been asked for years and years and years. As a matter of fact, there's been stories in the the Bible where the disciples, Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's like, hey, I want to teach you. Like, you see this big temple over here? Well, one day, uh, we're going to destroy this temple, and three days it's going to be rebuilt. This is in the book of John chapter 2, by the way, right? It's going to be rebuilt one day. And the disciples are like, it's going to be rebuilt in three days. You know how many decades it took to build this temple over here? What do you mean you're going to destroy it? You know, I I totally don't get it. And then in the subscript of that, passage it says we totally didn't get it at the time but three years later after jesus died and rose again in three days we realized that what he was saying was a metaphor and we're like oh we totally get it now it's they didn't get it at the time that there was that jesus was speaking to them this this big truth that could change their lives three years later they look back at it and say oh god was trying to tell me this so it's not just a new problem that we have today it's a problem that's been going on for a long time where a lot of even the people who wrote the bible say I didn't get it at the time, but looking back, now I get it. We have to look back to see how God has been intimate with us. And so one person in the early 1500s, there's a guy, this is what the guy looks like, Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Now, I think, if you give him long hair, he looks kind of like Keanu Reeves. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, that's beside the point. I say that to Val, and she's like, no, he doesn't. Okay. Anyways, okay, early 1500s, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, he is, if you guys have heard of Jesuit priests, he's the first of them. He's the one who created the order of the Jesuits. So if you heard of Jesuits, he's the guy who founded it. And he, uh, he really wanted to get in touch with the spiritual side of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so stories tell us that he spent about eight hours, he found this cave. He put himself in the cave eight hours a day just praying and praying, and praying, trying to figure out, how do I have this intimacy with God? And he would read the scriptures, and he would do all this stuff, research, you know, practice, trial and error, and he came up with this thing called the prayer of examine. Now, the word examine is a Latin word, which means to examine. <laughs> I know, we spell it differently, but it's pronounced the same way. What is that called? A hom- no, a homophone? Homonym? Homonym. <laughs> all right, thank you. <laughs> People smarter than me, good. Okay. And so if you're wondering what the prayer examine, or some people call it the examine, is when you let God come inside of you and you're allowing him to investigate your heart, to seek inside of you, go deep inside of you to see like, oh, there's something that you need to deal with or here's a memory that you need to deal with or whatever it is. So I'll give, and, and, and Ignatius did not come up with this on his own. He was reading through the scriptures and he got to Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is written by a guy named David. King David, okay, and as he was reading this, he was like, yes, this is it. This is how we're going to find intimacy with God, and this is how we're going to know if God has been working in my past or not. So we're going to look at Psalm 139 and see what Ignatius was able to get out of it and see how we could apply it to today, okay? So this is called a prayer examine. This is Psalm 139. This is how it goes. This is David singing. Oh, Psalm is like prayers and songs, so that's what that is. Okay, you have searched me, O God, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. So David is inviting God to come and search his heart. Get to know me, God. 
There's something inside of me that, that I know I don't know anything about, but you do because you're all wise. So can you come inside of me and find out what's going on in here? So it's a very interesting prayer, right? Then he continues, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If God comes into your heart and he knows you completely, then even before you say a word, he already knows what, he, what you're going to say. It's not that he's predicting what you're going to say. He just knows what you're going to say because he knows you that well. It's like people who finish each other's sandwiches. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you hem me in, in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Hem meaning like they bookend. So God knows what's going to happen to you next, and he knows what happened to you in the past. So it's like they're bookends in your life. Like he's like, you know me so well, and your hand is comforting me. It's upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty, lofty for me to attain. He says, there's no way that, I mean, I think I know myself pretty well, but it's impossible for me to know myself as much as you know me. And if I were to try to figure out who I really am, that's just, it's just going to blow my brain apart. So, like, I cannot figure this whole thing out on my own, but God, you're so smart, you're so infinite, you're so amazing, you can't, you can handle me. I can't handle me, but it's for some reason I know that you can handle me. So please come into my heart and search me. And from here all the way to verse 22, you can see that God is trying to bubble up some old memories, some old thoughts from his heart to his brain. And as he's bringing it up, he writes it down. And he says, God, I know that you are everywhere. I know that in my deepest, darkest times, you were there. In the times when I was really struggling and when I felt like I was alone, now that I look back at it and you brought it up in my, from my heart into my mind, I noticed that you were there too. As a matter of fact, you were everywhere. And then he kind of goes, kind of gets carried off. You know, and he starts saying, like, even before I was born, when I was inside my mother's womb, and he calls it the secret place because nobody really knows what's happening in there, at least back when he wrote this, right? So, like, you knew me in that secret place. Like, you know me so well, you even knew me when I was being formed inside my mother's womb, which is kind of creepy, but, <laughs> but, but he says, that's how well you know me. Like, these are times in my life what I don't have memories of, but God, you seem to know exactly how I was going to be formed, and when I was actually birthed. You know, you know all the information about me when I don't even know it. You know everything about me. And then he kind of takes a turn in verse 20. He starts kind of like taking offense at the people around him who are making fun of God, and this is what he says. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Why would he want to kill people? Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. It's like, by the way, you know me so well, right? By the way, there's all these people who are making fun of you. I hope you just kill them. David, are you sure? It's like, yeah, yeah, next verse. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? It's like, I'm totally justified in hating these people because they hate you. Really, is that healthy, David? <laughs> I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So you could feel David getting really angry. It's like, ah! Now, so far, doesn't it seem like he's talking about one thing and a totally separate thing? Well, I would argue that the first part where he says, you know me to the depths of my core, is a setup for what he just said right now. And now he's going to return back to his original thought. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He's like, this whole prayer is because of that one part right there, right? He's like, you could tell that inside me, I have a lot of hatred. And I, it could justify this hatred because I'm hating the people that hate you. So don't you think I'm totally justified in hate? But I know this isn't good. So can I search my heart and know my anxious thoughts, God? Can you, can you go down in there and reveal to me what it is that I need to deal with? And then he concludes by saying this, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way 
everlasting. What does that mean, everlasting? He's saying, God, I know your ultimate plan. The ultimate plan is one day you want to bring heaven on earth. You want to fix this whole world, right? And and, in the Old Testament, they call that the everlasting, or they even call that eternal life. They call that the age to come, whatever you want to call it. After Jesus comes, there's going to be this new world that's going to happen where all the wrong things in the world are going to be right. Okay, and he says this. I want to live a life right now where I could contribute to the things that are everlasting. But I can't because I have this hatred in me. Can you search my heart right now and reveal the things I need to deal with, the things I need to face? Because I want to be a person who is working towards your kingdom, not against it. And so Ignatius looked at this and he said this. This is the model for what the prayer examine should be. So the examine helps us reveal our activities, conversations, thoughts, encounters, and emotions. So when you pray the prayer examine, okay, and we're going to walk you through that later, okay, what happens is when you start praying this prayer of examine, you're allowing God to come inside of you, and let's just say you're praying, and all of a sudden you have this thought that comes to mind. And you're like, why did you reveal that? Like, I had a conversation with somebody today. Why are you bringing that memory back into my mind, Jesus? He's like, well, there's something about it that was not edifying. It was actually hurtful, and actually that kind of pulls you away from what God is trying to accomplish. It's like, oh. Or maybe when you're praying, um, an emotional thought comes from, like, when you were driving, you had that emotion today. It's like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, what about that, God? It's like, well, that emotion you had was a very good one. And with that emotion, it, if, if that emotion is infectious, the people around you, are, they're going to be praising God. It's going to be such a good world. Your community's going to be benefiting from you having that emotion. And you're like, oh, that's good. So you praise God for that, right? So Ignatius looked at all the thoughts that, he, that God revealed in his life, Okay, and he put into two categories, and these are two categories. He called them consolation and desolation. Consolation are thoughts or events or conversations or whatever, okay, that is revealed through the prayer examine that leads you one step closer to what God wants. It takes you one step closer to God, your relationship with them. It takes you one step closer to accomplishing heaven on earth, whatever that might be. Desolation is the opposite of that. God brings a memory back in your life, and you're like, ooh, that was not a good one. It's like, yeah, that actually took you one step away from God. That took you one step away from heaven on earth. That, that you, you don't want to do that. And so he says, when you do the prayer examine, you end up with one of these two things, a consolation or a desolation. And he said, so, so for example, right? So let's put this up right here. Okay, so this, right? So as you're doing the prayer examine, so you practice his presence and now you're talking about intimacy and you're sitting there and you're praying and all of a sudden God brings up this, this thought in your mind. Like in King David's Psalm in 139, he says, like, you are everywhere. Like, even in my darkest, deepest areas of my life, and I thought I was alone, there you were. And that's the, that's the memory that God brings in your head during this prayer. You're like, oh, well, that's so cool. God, you're so amazing, right? And so because of that, next slide, this leads to praise, you see, you don't just start off by, remember, it's not an isolated thing. You don't say, okay, it's time to pray. God, uh, thank you for being good. You don't do that. He says you start from a place where you let God rise up to the surface the things that he wants you to praise him about. As you do this prayer of examine, God will tell you what he wants to be praised for. Or maybe, right, you're, you're, you're doing your prayer examine and all of a sudden a face pops in your mind. As a matter of fact, this happened to me this past week. I was doing this prayer examine and all of a sudden, this guy's face is a person who used to be in my life group, and he moved away, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, his face popped in my mind. 
I'm like, oh, why, why did you bring this, this face in my mind, God? So I just prayed and I said, Lord, whatever this person is going through, I don't know, can you be with them? Give them hope that, you know, if they're going through a tough time, just make sure that they're, you know, they're taken care of or whatever, right? So for me, the prayer examine led to requests because God prompted that in my life. And I'm like, okay, so, right? And the thing is, the very next day, I get a text from him saying, cause I need prayer requests for me because I'm going through a really tough time. And so I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, God is working in amazing ways. So sometimes it does that. Other people, something, you know, you're, you know, you're praying, and then all of a sudden, um, you, you have this image of you at, oh, so this is a true story, in seminary, uh, you know, not cemetery, it's seminary, but it's where you go to school to become a pastor, right? So, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, we're talking about the prayer examine, and this lady raises her hand and says, the other day I was doing the prayer examine, right? And the image that came to mind was my daughter coming up to me as I was leaving for school. Um, I saw, my daughter came up to me, and there was like a screen door, and you could see in her face that she was eating Cheetos because she has all this orange stuff. And she's like, bye, mommy. And she puts her face against the screen door. And you can see the Cheeto, like, orange stuff kind of coming out on the other side of the screen. You, you got that image? It's like, I don't know why, but God gave me that image. And I realized, my daughter really loves me. And that's why God wanted me to know that, night, that day, right? And so I can't do anything else but to thank God. So for some people, the prayer examine will lead you to thanks. Like, I just want to say... Why did you bring that up, God? Is it because you want me to be grat- have a heart of gratitude? Then, God, I just want to say I'm so thankful that you've given me a daughter, that we have such a good relationship. You know, like, I just want to say thank you. And for other people, you have these images or these conversations. Like, that conversation was not edifying at all. Or when I was talking about somebody, that sounded like gossip, and I don't think I'm contributing to the, to, to the solution. I think I'm actually making the problem worse. And if that's you then maybe the prayer examine will lead you to confession. And the whole point that I'm trying to say here, remember I said that prayer is not a solitary, it's not, it's not an isolated, momentary thing. What I'm trying to say is this, the prayer examine should prompt the next part of your prayer. This is what I mean, is that prayer is not just, okay, let's pray about this one thing, boom, done. It's as you let God search your heart and he brings certain things to the surface, then you're like, God, I'm guessing this is what you want me to pray for. So you start praying about it or you're confessing it or you're thanking him or you're praising him or whatever it is. And so naturally, you start to understand what the next step of your prayer is. But it all starts with understanding his presence and letting God coming into you and letting him search you and reveal certain thoughts and memories. And through that, you know what to pray for. So now you're not just praying for things that you want. You're praying for things that you think God wants for you. I know in recent years, there's been this trend of like, mindf- like self-mindfulness where you're, you just want to sit down and meditate. I know in some schools, like my wife is like, yeah, my elementary school, we teach them to have this moment of the meditation and, you know, right? Where you're trying to think about like who you are and, you know, all the good stuff, right? This is different from just meditation. Because in meditation, you're by yourself. The prayer examine, God is involved in it. So it's not just you. You're allowing God to reveal things that you might not even have a memory about. A few months ago, or maybe it was a year ago, or I can't remember exactly when it was, some people in this church prayed with me, and it was a sort of a prayer examine. And one of the questions they asked is, can you remember when you were like <laughs> in the, your mother's womb? I'm like, of course I don't, right? But if, you were, if God were to bring that image to your mind, where do you see Jesus in that? Do you see him caring for you, nurturing you, letting you know that everything's going to be great? 
right? That's a form of prayer examine, where God brings up a memory, but it's not a memory that you had because you don't remember it, right? Because <laughs> you're a fetus, you know? But anyways, so, so all these things. So, so when it comes to prayer examine, it's not about just recalling memories. It's allowing God to bring certain memories up. And sometimes it's not your memory. Sometimes you're like, I have no idea why this person's coming to my mind. Or I have no idea why this is happening. Or, or maybe God tells you something about a conversation you had, but it was more from the perspective of the person you're having a conversation with. That maybe that person was offended by what you said, and now you have to confess. And because of that confession, you're like, I need to go to that person and apologize and make things right. The prayer examine is when you let God do all the talking and you just respond according to what he reveals to you. Okay. So what we're going to do next is we're going to practice it. But I'm not going to lead you in this because there's somebody way more qualified than me to do this. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Stan to come up here. Pastor Stan, St. Stan of Westlight. (laughs) So he's going to lead us in this time. Is your middle name Ignatius? (laughs) Okay, so here you go. Well, uh, I'm not a saint, except that you're all saints who have received Jesus, and that's how he sees you. And part of the prayer examine is he wants you to be able to identify that way, that he doesn't see you as sinners. God doesn't see you as sinners. He sees you as saints. And as saints, he has great things in mind for you. And so part of the prayer of examine uh, that I think Ignatius really <coughs> helped to uh, bring about was uh, just in the Thessalonians it says, pray without ceasing. And so prayer to me represents relationship, but more than relationship, it represents connection. That, and as Kotz was talking about, being aware of his presence, right? So I can go to Disneyland and I can be with my wife, and so I'm in relationship with her, but if I'm not enjoying or connecting with her at Disneyland, then that really isn't practicing the presence, right, of being with her. And so I believe part of uh, the prayer of examine is just bringing that awareness that God is always with you, no matter where you are, and that you don't have to spend uh, I go into a closet and find him, that he's right there. Now, it's helpful to, to go into a closet. It's helpful to, to close your eyes. It's helpful to do all kinds of things. But at the very core, like Koss was saying, the very core of this is that God wants you to know that he is for you and not against you, that he loves you so much that there is nothing that he has to get over to say he loves you. It's all gone. He says, I love you. So let me go through these five steps here. Uh, This is a summary of the prayer examine. The first one is to ask God for light. So I want to look at my day with God's eyes, not merely my own. So what that basically means is is, uh, when I do the prayer examine, the question for me is, how did I get to this place? How did I get to this place? So wherever I am, what are the things that got me to to where I am right now? So we're going to go through these steps on an ongoing basis. So I want you to do this. 
you're here gathered together at Westlight. What got you here? What brought you here? And spend some time with God just asking that question. And by the way, uh, normally this prayer takes 15 to 20 minutes, so we aren't going to do the full thing. But what I would invite you to do, because prayer is a relationship, is wherever maybe God is, is speaking to you, spend some time with that. And maybe it's, it's not here, but uh, if, if something stirs in you and you, you're leaving here, make sure you make a note of it and come back to it. It's like when you're in a relationship with somebody and, and something happens between you, but you don't, the, the context is not where you can really discuss it. If you don't discuss it, that doesn't make it go away. And it can make things worse. Right? So same thing with God. The thing about God is he never leaves. So he'll keep bringing it back. So you don't have to worry about forgetting about it because he's going to bring it back. So why don't we take a moment? What brings you here? What brought you here? Maybe you felt forced. So where's that force come from? Maybe you felt like if I don't go, go, people are going to think that I'm not a good person. Well, I think maybe what God would say is, what people think don't make you a good or a bad person. It's who you are and who I made you to be. So can you receive that? Second thing. Give thanks. Um, I actually don't use this in the second place with the prayer examine, but what it is is uh, to just be able to see that God has given me this day, that there was nothing that I did that I was entitled to this day. It was God's gift to me. I normally do the give thanks after number four, actually, but do you feel like today is your gift? Or do you feel like it's just another day? You know, when we go to work and we get our paycheck, the paycheck represents something that we earned because we showed up to work and we, we did things. A gift is something that you did nothing to earn. It was simply out of the love of the giver. And that's what the day is for each one of us. That God didn't say, you, you earned another day. He says, I want to give you this day. My gift. So maybe that's where you need to spend some time with God and talk to him about that. Because like Kat said, the prayer examine is to, to really show what's, what's inside of us as God reveals it. So maybe there's, there's a place where, you know, God, I can't be thankful because I feel like I did all that I could and I didn't get what I wanted. So this day is not a gift. It's a curse. I'm having to suffer through this thing that, that I needed to have you fix, but you didn't. And that's a place to start with God, a conversation, which goes to let God reveal the day. 
You know what? Anything you say to God, like Kat said, he already knew. So there's no, nothing that you can ever say to God where he's going to be shocked. Where he's going to say, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. Or, how could you think that? He already knew. So God's not going to run away. You know, sometimes we say things even to people who are very close to us. And they may not physically run away, but their body language says, ooh, I don't want to go there, right? God will never do that because he already knew. In fact, I believe maybe the image that we need to have when we bring those things up is God like the father in the prodigal son who said, come, let's, let's share a meal together. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let me share my heart with you. And that's what God wants to do, is to share his heart. Number four, acknowledge your consolations and desolations. I face up to what is wrong and I celebrate the victory. One of the things if you study Ignatius is that he will say, desolations lead to consolations. So any place that, that there is a movement, uh, I, I define desolation as any movement either resisting God or seeking to move away from him is a desolation. But it's also an opportunity for God to show you just how persistent, how strong his love is for you, that nothing you can do will ever make me go away. I'm going to be there for you. Nothing you can ever do will make me love you less. So the desolation is designed to lead us to a place of consolation. But the thing is, unless you walk through the desolation, you will never get to the consolation. Because if you dismiss the idea, oh, well, God's for me, and never feel what that feels like, then you'll never know. One of the last words of Jesus on the cross was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's a place of desolation. But through that, in the end, one of his last words were, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So he knew that God, even in that place where it felt like he had forsaken him, he was there. So take a moment. Is your life desolation or consolation? I think in, if we're honest, there, it's a combination of both. But the overall goal of God is consolation, is restoration. It says in Corinthians, the, the purpose of our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. So that means reconciliation between us and God and between us and other people. Because for me, quite frankly, my desolation is oftentimes in my relationship with people. As much as I want to uh, love on people, a lot of times I feel like I could do a whole lot better with God if I were on an island and just, it was just him and me. You know what he says to that? He says, in the garden, I said, 
that it was not good for Adam to be alone. He needed relationship. So you need relationship. You were never meant to live all by yourself on an island with just you and God. So no matter how good that may sound, how religious that may sound, that is not the healthy life that God has for you. But it's not easy either. The last thing, look forward to the day ahead or the day to come. You know what? One of the things about God is that each day, each breath we take is his gift to us. And we can do whatever we want with it. We can either move toward him or we can resist him or even move away, try to move away from him. See, the thing is, uh, I think this image of being able to move away from God is that somehow we get the idea that we can hide from God. And if you look at Psalm 139, David says, there's no place I can hide from you. You're everywhere. So you can never move away from God where he doesn't see you as totally as he did when you were close to him. There's no changing how much God knows about you. There's nothing you can hide that is hidden from him. You can think you did. You can fool yourself into thinking, right? And that's the way we, in our relationships, that's the way things get messed up, that we think we can hide things from people and and work our relationships on those other things and have things hidden. But ultimately, as... uh, I've been reading through that book, Everything I Never Told You. That doesn't work. Ultimately, who you are has to be known. And, and God's message is, I know you, and I fully love you. So you don't have to be afraid of anything. So what I would invite you to do is to spend some time with each one of these things. Don't feel you have to go through all of them. But don't get stuck in a place of desolation and feel like I'm all messed up. Because God's word to you would be this, that I'm with you. And so in the pit of the depths of your despair, you are never alone. You are never hidden from me. I'm there for you and not against you. So as a response to, toward the day ahead, why don't we join in worship? So we'll have the worship team come forward, and let me close in prayer, okay?